Well, g'day folks and welcome to episode number six of Plan Crazy Down Under, the podcast that looks at the world of aviation from an Australia-Pacific point of view. From the windswept and storm-damaged southeast suburbs of Melbourne, Australia, I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm very much on the ground, Grant McCarran. And uh, we do apologise, folks, for the delay in getting this podcast out. We've had some uh, huge computer-related problems, or at least I have, and, and it's required the replacement of hard drives and the way my system's looking, uh, probably several other parts of the way we're going, but uh, hopefully we'll get this one <laughs> up and running before we have any more crashes and uh, get it out so that you can have a listen. And throw into that the fact that my day job has been consuming all my time for the last week and a half and uh, a couple of health things and it's taken us a little while so I'm sorry to all the people who've been out there wailing and gnashing their teeth. We've been hearing the cries of people wishing that we were back online. Well, here we are. Yeah, I think that was your cries and my cries, wasn't it, Mark? Uh, I think, yeah, I think it was anyone who had to deal with us not being online. A big plug right at the start this week, Grant, for my friend Dominic at audiovisualmedia.com.au. Dominic's uh, been very... Uh, generous with his time this week and he's uh, assisting us to uh, get some better equipment and uh, teaching me some techniques in how to edit better and uh, Dominic's uh, done that all for nothing and uh, we really do appreciate that so uh, www.audiovisualmedia.com.au if you need any audio production done uh, Dominic's your man and I'm sure that he'll give you a great deal if he hears that you come from the Plain Crazy Down Under podcast after he stops laughing <laughs> after he stops laughing that's right Plain Crazy who? <laughs> oh them twitch twitch we're hoping uh, we're hoping through Dominic uh, we're going to end up getting a, some mixing equipment and some better recording uh, software. So hopefully in the coming weeks, uh, once I've paid all that off, uh, things should start sounding better. That's my goal at any rate. Mate, anyone who can make us sound better has got to be good. And speaking of good, we've got my mate Andrew, who uh, Andrew from APC.au. Uh, Andrew Garten went through and uh, remixed the disclaimer piece at the end. So thanks to Andrew for that. Very cool, mate. And uh, of course, we have to mention Airplane Geeks. Did we mention it enough times last week, Grant? I can't remember. Uh, I think we got in trouble because we didn't. Our good friends at Airplane Geeks, of course, Max Flight, who always helps us out a lot and fields my questions and of course without the Airplane Geeks podcast this podcast would never have existed so uh, yeah, that's why That's why I, I, I gotta scratch my head I mean it, so it's their fault it's, oh yeah it's their fault we exist indeed but I, I do have to scratch my head mate I mean I honestly thought that every single person who listened to our podcast was already listening to their podcast so what was the big deal I mean of course everyone knows about the Airplane Geeks it's more like we're the ones who are very very lucky that they mention us at all <laughs> very true mind you that's, that's for now it could change yes once we've taken over the world as I was uh, mentioning to my close personal friend Leo Laporte recently I, oh, sh- I should shit. stop mentioning that Grant <laughs> you, you, yeah you're, you're setting up your shrine to Leo as we talk and I've got a couple of other plugs which we'll put in later on Grant but uh, for now let's uh, head off with our first story of the week oh, so we're going to stop the podcast and go to a podcast absolutely mate absolutely <laughs> And our first story this week, Grant, is dealing with the Kokoda crash, uh, which happened a couple of weeks ago up there in uh, Papua New Guinea, of course, the uh, airline's PNG uh, de Havilland Twin Otter aircraft that unfortunately uh, found its way into the side of uh, the Owen Stanley Ranges up there when uh, 13 people were killed. Very, very sad. And a report here this week, Grant, in theage.com.au. Yeah, that's correct. It's uh, reporting on the return of the nine Australian bodies uh, from that crash. Uh, of the 13, there were nine Aussies on board. They've been returned in a uh, Royal Australian Air Force C-130 bring the bodies back from Papua New Guinea. As we reported last episode, very tragic accident and very difficult extraction due to the mountainous terrain and uh, difficult weather. Yeah, so uh, Grant, there's uh, probably not much more that we can add to this story at the moment. The investigation is still ongoing and uh, I think they're talking about reporting that on that in a month or two. Yeah, so. mid-September they're due to give us a response and 
let us know more information about it. So uh, you can find links to that links to that in our show notes if you'd like to have a look at those articles. Um, very, very tragic. And uh, I guess the, the the one thing I guess we can take from that is at least they were able to recover all the bodies. And uh, I, ho- I hope that that uh, can provide at least some closure to the families and at least they can uh, give their loved ones a, a proper send-off. Indeed, indeed. That's better than some, some people get with uh, these kind of incidents. Okay, now next story here, just a quick one here, uh, dealing with Virgin Blue and they're ending their co-chair partnership with United Airlines. I guess that's hardly surprising, but uh, this article was uh, linked to us from our friend at the Airplane Geeks, Dan Webb. Hi, Dan. G'day, Dan. And uh, this article uh, appeared on flightglobal.com. Australia's Virgin Blue plans to discontinue its co-chair with United Airlines as it prepares to implement a more comprehensive partnership with Delta Airlines. Virgin Blue has been carrying United's code on domestic routes within Australia since 2002, but outgoing Virgin Blue CEO Brett Godfrey says this co-chair will end later this year as the low-cost carriers partnership, quote-unquote, is being reduced to an interline partnership. So, of course, we know we've reported on this in previous episodes, Grant, that it's well known now that Virgin Blue is linking up with Delta Airlines in a, a very, very very cosy relationship there. Now in the in the spirit of Brangelina, now being referred to as Delta V. Delta V, there you go. So I guess it's hardly surprising that, uh, you know, that, that was going to happen. United Airlines has voiced its unhappiness about uh, Delta operating across in partnership with V Australia, which is uh, part of the Virgin Blue Group, along with a number of other carriers, including Singapore Airlines. <laughs> yes, the owners of Tiger. So, uh, yeah, that's no surprise there that that was going to happen. Yeah, it's interesting this one's going out. It's almost like United don't want to keep sharing their uh, Belle de la Ball Virgin Blue because, hey, Virgin's sharing itself also with SkyWest. Airlines PNG and Virgin Atlantic. Well, there you go. So they're spreading themselves around a bit. Uh, there was an article that appeared in Australian Aviation Magazine recently. I think I referred to that also in the last episode, talking about United Airlines and their their upbeat outlook. Yes, yes, they're yeah. uh, they're doing all they can to try and make things look good for them on the Pacific. And with all the doom and gloom that that seems to be uh, hovering over the top of United Airlines these days, one would be given to wonder whether they would still be operating or would still consider operating uh, this far away from home to uh, to countries like Australia. But uh, it's you know it's good for competition wise. It's good good to see that they're still uh, intending to keep operating to Sydney and Melbourne. Well, look the. The uh, Pacific route is traditionally an area of extreme profits for uh, Qantas definitely announced, uh, have mentioned a few times that uh, that flights between uh, London and Australia and uh, the US and Australia via the Pacific run are part of their main profit area. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why their profit is down. They're also saying here that, uh, you know, or in that article in the Australian Aviation magazine, that they've got no plans to use any other aircraft type but the Boeing 747-400, despite the age of some of their airframes. Uh, it seems to me that the Boeing 777 is uh, starting to become the airliner of choice for the Trans-Pacific route. It's uh, what Delta is using and V Australia are using that one as well. Yeah, indeed, and they're using it quite well. Well, Steve, as I mentioned in that previous section, uh, Qantas, uh, well, why United are probably still sticking in the Pacific area is because of the uh, the premium traffic and the profits they can make on the LA to Australia route. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why Qantas is saying that their profit has nosedived, according to an article here in the uh, in the Australian News in their business section. Um, Australian flag carrier Qantas has blamed flagging demand on its key London and Los Angeles routes for an 88% drop in annual net profit. Oh my, that's huge. That's uh, a lot of money to lose. Oh, especially, yeah, that's that's a lot of money for anyone. But uh, they're saying that these two routes between London and the and, and Australia and the Los Angeles and the Australia uh, used to be the airline's main profit generators. 
and are operating at a loss due to increased competition and the impact of the global financial crisis, which has been taking out all the premium traffic. So uh, that's that's pretty interesting that they can tie their major loss directly to those couple of routes. Yeah, it seems interesting to me that with all the discounting going on at the moment, that seems to pertain mainly to the economy cabins of the aircraft. It doesn't seem to, if you, if you have a look at the, the prices of flights, even to go premium economy or business, it's significantly higher, way, way higher than, than the really heavily discounted uh, cattle class fares correct but the problem is that people aren't traveling premium anymore there uh there's been a ma- as we've been we've been reporting it for a number of times uh the, the premium market's just disappearing uh no one's able to travel either because companies don't have the money to send people or because companies are now getting government funds and can't send people in first in business or because people who used to travel that way for the for themselves can't afford it anymore they have to think a little bit more austerely yeah that's why i make the point it, it seems interesting to me that they're not discounting more heavily in those premium cabins if they want to get people in there and, and, and keep that mindset going amongst the business population and you know, the, the business travellers. It surprises me that they don't discount you know those and, and perhaps offset that against the economy classes a little. I mean, they you know, they make no secret of the fact that the front end of the plane is where they're making most of their cash. Yeah. So, so to just to be sticking backsides on seats at cheaper prices, um, whilst, of course, I'm no businessman, it, it seems to not make a lot of sense to me. They've actually been taking out the first class because they're saying, well, rather than offer that at a at a loss or a discount to keep it going they're actually taking it right out and just focusing purely on the on the discount area because that's where everyone's going so yeah it's it's an interesting concept why they don't offer some uh, discount business i think they may have tried that but people there may be a stigma attached to business class these days yeah well i'd uh, be quite happy to live with that stigma if i could afford to travel in business class i'll tell you Uh, yep pick me pick me Looking at another article uh, by Bill Lindsay in the Australian uh, talking about the 88% drop in profit. Uh, it says here the net profit for the year ending June 30 plunged to 117 million Australian dollars, down from 969 million a year before. That's a big drop. It's saying here that's even lower than the forecast, which had uh, had them coming in at around a 131.5 million dollar profit. Even despite that, their shares managed to defy the profit plunge, as the, another article by Bill is saying. Despite their worse than expected 88% fall in net profit. Uh, and the fact that the outlook remains volatile, their shares have stayed up. And not only is the environment that they're operating in quite volatile at the moment, uh, I guess the ongoing delays in the 787 program, uh, and, and I know you've mentioned this in earlier editions too, Grant, that's probably it turned out to be a bit of a godsend for Qantas after all. If uh, Boeing can't deliver the aircraft, Qantas doesn't have to shell out the cash right now. Indeed, indeed. However, Boeing have said that to Qantas, they're not officially, Boeing isn't saying anything to anyone, but according to an article in Aero. Um, Aero News, they reckon it was reported in the Australian, although I must admit I missed that in the Australian, but they reckon in the Australian Alan Joyce, the CEO of Qantas has uh, been told by Boeing that the 787 will fly this year. Well, from an airplane geek and airplane spotter point of view, that'll be a wonderful thing. Uh, we'd certainly like to see that thing up in the air, but uh, I guess time will tell. Yeah, look, I'd, I'd be really happy to see it flying and I, I definitely want to see it as a, as a success, but I also don't want it to become the modern comet. I don't want it to uh, fall apart in the air. Uh, I think it's great that they've caught all this stuff on the ground, but what more can you say about an aircraft? It's brand new, but it's got age wrinkles. <laughs> Much like myself these days, mate. The other interesting thing I, that Qantas has said here is that they're going to lease an extra four uh, A330 Airbus aircraft for six years uh, for Jetstar because of the delays in the 787s. A lot of those 787s were destined for Jetstar, I know that much. Yeah, well, and uh, 
by the way, bad luck Boeing. You know, that's that's driving customers away. That's money that Boeing could have been having right now. But you, you know, some people might ask, why didn't Qantas go and get some 777s or some 767s or things like that just to plug the gap? Well, Jetstar's already flying the Airbus, so grab a couple more A330s and plug the gap that way. Yeah, Qantas really have diversified their fleet that way in the last uh, in recent years, uh, getting, getting more Airbus into the fleet. When they took over Australian Airlines at the time, I think they were operating four A300s, I think. I think Qantas got rid of those pretty quickly once they uh, took over from Australian Airlines. Yeah, they did They did yeah. focus. Qantas was always a big Boeing fleet, but uh, I remember quite well when uh, they turned around and said, oh, by the way, we're getting the A330s and we're going to go the A380. And uh, yeah, the, you can't half say that's called leverage against Boeing for a better deal, can you? Yeah, well, once again, Grant, it all comes down to competition, doesn't it? And uh, it's, it's when you're out there looking at uh, planes coming into the airport, not, not that I would do that often, Grant, of course, but if, oh, I, no. if I theoretically was out at the airport watching planes come in, it is kind of nice to see an Airbus come down occasionally to the runway with uh, with Qantas colours on instead of just 737 after 737 after 737. <laughs> yeah, no, a bit of diversity is a good thing. Absolutely, really good. Looks really good in my camera lens. <laughs> but one thing that Qantas are doing is uh, to get around this problem that they're having with the massive... Uh, profit loss is that uh, naturally they've decided to target costs. It's a, a very common reaction for many airlines. And as Matt O'Sullivan's written in uh, theage.com.au, Qantas are going to cut $1.5 billion in costs over the next three years and could resort to further job cuts if demand for travel doesn't pick up. Apparently, they've already lot, laid off almost 3,500 workers over the past one and a half years. It's currently about 34,000 workers, but uh, they're not ruling out further cuts. So, oops. Yeah, it says here that the cost-cutting program uh, is a three-year program, and it looks like they're looking to get rid of $500 million just this financial year alone off the uh, company bottom line. Yeah, and they keep saying again and again and again they're not going to sell their frequent flyer. Uh, they're not going to sell that off. But the, some days, the more you hear you're not going to sell the frequent flyer program, the more you start to wonder, maybe they really are. Uh, the other interesting thing is here, and they're you know from a worker's point of view, Qantas is saying they're going to use improved productivity which you know, almost always means either reduction in hours or reduction in jobs. Qantas is saying here that they're going to do it through the use of better technology and has planned a $100 million IT transformation program. Yeah, well, I certainly hope that doesn't go the way of the Telstra transformation. Yeah, anyone in IT who's worked on that one knows it's been a complete bloody disaster, to put it very bluntly. It was all uh, supposed to be over and done with by now. Actually, I should check that. It says it's got a large IT transformation program planned, which is expected to save it $100 million. I suppose $100 million worth of IT would be rather excessive, but Grant, you're the IT man, you would know better than me how much that sort of stuff would cost. Yeah, well, if you're, depending on what you're rolling out and how big you're doing it, it can easily notch that up. The Telstra transformation was supposed to be saving them a fortune and uh, by getting decommissioning a, a whole lot of old systems so they wouldn't have to keep supporting them. So they could just focus on some new ones. Uh, they tried to do it in one giant series of big switch-on events. And as most people in the IT industry know, that's a recipe for disaster. And uh, that has borne fruit. The, the Telstra transformation has been a classic example of how not to do it, in my not-so-humble opinion. Yes, well, let's not get off on a tangent talking about Telstra, the big evil empire or we could uh, be going off on that all night. Wouldn't be hard. Continuing the uh, trend of discussing uh, profit collapses, uh, Flight Centre, a very uh, it's Australia's largest travel agency. Uh, it's here in Australia and also overseas. Flight Centre has uh, hit, as they're reporting here, financial crisis turbulence. According to an article in the ABC News, Australia's largest travel agency, Flight Centre, has posted a 72% slide in its annual profit. Uh, no real surprise here because people aren't flying. And the other thing I wonder about with travel agents, okay, 
Flight Centre is probably the biggest, I guess, in this country. You see them in all the shopping centres and everywhere else. Um, I'm beginning to wonder just how much the average bloke in the street, particularly one who's a little bit computer savvy, really needs to go to the travel agent. Uh, it's funny you should mention that. Uh, we... well, I, know, I know you and I differ on this opinion, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm quite I'm quite confident in my ability to book you know, my flights and get good prices just by shopping around a bit online. Okay, well, here's, here's my story. Um, yes, when we're travelling up to the Gold Coast to visit family or going to, to Sydney for a, a project or things like that, sure, I get online and I do it myself, no problem at all. But we have a boutique travel agent that we work through, uh, my co-director and I, when we're travelling on business and we use them quite extensively because typically that involves a lot of international travel and jumping all around the planet and you're looking for flights into obscure areas, uh, ways to get the best flight. Fortunately, Tracy and the Angels at Cloud9 Travel, plug, plug. See, I told you it was a plug cast. There you go. Uh, Tracy and the Angels at Cloud9 really look after us. We, we're allowed to call them outside office hours and things like that if it's urgent. And uh, it's not uncommon for us to have to change our travel plans quite dramatically. For instance, my co-director had to, uh, he was in uh, South Africa and was supposed to be heading to Malaysia and due to a family issue, had to go to Bali quite urgently. So she was able to shift plans, move things around, get the best flights, all that kind of stuff. And having access to someone who knows what's going on when you're doing complex travel or uh, trying to get the best deal on a long long haul trip is really worthwhile. I, I really do recommend that. But certainly for just jumping around Australia on a quick little trip, the internet's the way to go. Yeah, a, a boutique agency is is they, they do come into the into the fall when you're doing something complex. You, you see, Grant, when I was planning my uh, trip to the US, when I started planning that several months back, and the, my first stop was into my local flight center. Just before I made the trip down to the uh, shops to to speak to the people there, I did a quick search around the web. Uh, at that time, I was looking mainly at United Airlines and uh, looking through their website and Zuji.com and, and uh, Webjet and other similar type of websites and just got a few basic prices just to see how Flight Centre would compare. And uh, when I popped down to Flight Centre and I got chatting to the uh, to the representative there talking about what I required and where I needed to go and the timelines and I, I just happened to notice as she, her hands were flying across the computer screen that she was looking at the very same websites I'd been looking at. <laughs> yeah, we used to use Flight Centre but uh, we've found them, they're, they're not the best. Um, no offence to Flight Centre but uh, we've found that our current agency is is able to get much better fares, uh, much better deals. Uh, they can look after the entire package quite well for us. In fact, when I was talking to Tracy, she was saying that uh, with the global financial crisis last year, when that kicked in, they uh, put themselves on half wages to get through, uh, but then discovered that by April of this year, everything had turned around such that they were back on track by June. So uh, yeah, the things are picking up and uh, Flight Centre has reported here saying they're optimistic on the travel sector recovering in uh, next financial year which for us here in Australia starts in July 2010. Speaking of profits uh, or profits and losses, I guess mainly losses, Grant, uh, there's another short article here that appeared on ABC News uh, this week talking about our friends across the Tasman and Air New Zealand. Uh, their profit has dropped 90% in the last financial year. Just trying to just trying to outdo Qantas there. Qantas only had an 88% drop. Oh, those Kiwis. They're always yapping, you know, yapping at our fe- heels just trying to outdo us. I <laughs> Well, let's just lost all of our New, all of our New Zealand audience. And you, you're going to get hit over the head by a Maori, you know that. Yes, I know that. Actually, I work with a few of them. I hope they don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> it says here, Air New Zealand continues to struggle through the global economic crisis and the company has announced its annual profit is down by 90%. Uh, it says Air New Zealand's trying to be upbeat and says it's doing better than most of its rivals. Mm, it's probably on par with most of its rivals, I'd say. Well, it depends uh, on how you call a rival. 
uh, says the airline's after-tax profit has dived from 180 million, I'm assuming New Zealand dollars last year, to 17 million dollars, and they're saying here that that's mainly due to a big drop in passenger numbers. Uh, Air New Zealand's chief executive Rob Fife says while Europe remains a particularly challenging market, there are signs that demand for travel is stabilising. Yeah, the, there's indications. Qantas are saying it. Uh, Air New Zealand saying it. Uh, flight centres saying it. Everyone, everyone who's been reporting a slump is also turning around and saying it looks like the corner has been turned and things should be better next financial year. Mm, yeah, we'll see. I, I, I do tend to agree that probably the worst has, has hit. We could have a few more burbles yet, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm no economist. I'm not Dan Webb. I'm not going to make any statements on what the airlines are going to do or the rest of the world. So uh, I'm just waiting to see. And in related Air New Zealand news, uh, Grant, seems like they've been caught up in the uh, recent freight cartel and price-fixing uh, scandals that have been going on around the world with the airlines. It says Air New Zealand here is rejecting that it's uh, part of a cartel. Uh, an, article here, an article here by Steve Creedy, our favourite article. Oh, our we ha- <laughs> our we favourite airline. Writer. <laughs> we had to have at least one article from Steve this week. It <laughs> uh, says here that uh, New Zealand has rejected claims that its Deputy Chief Executive Norm Thompson is embroiled in an air freight cartel uh, and attempted to fix prices with Emirates Airlines. The airline yeah. said yesterday an Australian media report quoting correspondence between Mr Thompson and Emirates had taken the exchange out of context and used it selectively. Oh, would Australian media do that? Yeah, well, you know... <laughs> Never let the facts get in the way of a good story, I guess. Um, they're saying here the, the report related to allegations in the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission's prosecution of Emirates that it attempted to fix cargo rates as well as fuel and security surcharges with various carriers, including Air New Zealand. Uh, Emirates has denied that claim and says it will defend the case. Yeah, this is this is the same kind of thing that uh, Qantas and Air Canada and Co have all been dragged into as well. It's a, it's a pretty big one. And of course, uh, Qantas uh, has uh, copped its fair share of fines, I believe, over in the US, didn't it, Grant, uh, for being caught up in, in in these sorts of schemes? Yeah, and here. And my big question is, okay, they've paid a fine. Where's the money go? Does it go back to the poor suckers, i.e. us, who paid too much for our freight? I can't see that happening. I'd say it would be going straight into the federal government coffers. Um, Let's just hope they spend the money wisely if they get it. Uh, Yeah. For once. (laughs) Junk it, junk it. I bet you they – I wonder if they spend it on the airlines to go flying somewhere. (laughs) Well, of course, the the government's got a uh, nice little fleet of its own 737s these days, so I guess they don't uh, don't need to be slumming it with the rest of us. Yeah, I'm looking forward to when I get my model of the uh, the RAF BBJ, the Boeing business jet that they fly. They're a pretty sexy looking aircraft. Those in the uh, they fly a few challenges as well. Uh, very nice looking aircraft. We see them quite a bit down at Avalon during the air show. Did you notice also speaking of New Zealand that the Royal New Zealand Air Force, the, their version of Air Force One, if you like, is a uh, Boeing 757. Uh, I noticed an article recently where it has been retrofitted for. Uh, it's like uh, it looks like they've split it up so that it's half passenger, half cargo now. Yeah, they've, uh, they've when they first received their 757s, one pulled up to Ohaki with the dignitaries, and they suddenly realised they didn't have any air stairs big enough to get to it. Uh, here in, uh, yeah, it's a classic story that one. Here, here at uh, Avalon, when it arrives, it's referred to as the Sheep Shack. Uh, that's for those of you who don't know. There's rivalry between Australia and New Zealand uh, about New Zealand having a lot of sheep. You know, Grant. When I was just uh, making those comments just early, just a few seconds ago, I resisted the urge to make any sheep jokes. I wasn't going to do it, but here's you, an expatriate New Zealander. I guess you can get away with it. Well, I've still got my Kiwi passport, but I'm just mentioning what gets referred to at uh, Avalon on the ground radio, where like Ozjet was known as Euro Trash, uh, Jetstar are known <laughs> as Pornstar. And uh, yeah, the RAF, sorry, the RNZAF 
757 is known as the Sheep Shack. But I'll tell you what, for a 757, they do a pretty good demo. Uh, they really fly it to the max going past. The high-speed pass is the thing to drool for. Oh, yeah, that is uh, one of the things that you always look forward to at the Avalon Air Show every second year. Um, they do a fantastic display of the Royal New Zealand Air Force. Well, it's because they don't have their A4 Skyhawks anymore. They've got to have some jet to throw around the sky. Oh, I wasn't going to say that either. Jeez, you're sticking it to them today, mate. <laughs> Oh, there's a few of us who are ex-New Zealand Air Force families who are a little upset with what the Kiwis have done with their uh, Air Force. Yeah, yeah, well, I don't blame you at all. Um, It was really a shame to see, uh, although their Air Force is small, they're a small country, but the notion of getting rid of uh, all of your fighter jets just just doesn't sit right with many of us, including me. Well, to make it up, I will say one thing. The Kiwis at least got their Command Sea Sprites to fly. Yeah, well, there you go. The, the Aussies spent a stack more money and uh, totally had to send them back in very expensive bubble wrap. Yes, well, that's uh, good news, I guess, if you're Blackhawk crew. I, I suppose they'll be flying, or Seahawk crew, I guess, they'll be flying those for uh, quite a lot longer. Yeah. So, something we'll touch on in later episodes, no doubt. Yeah, as the uh, NH-90, whether they wind up flying that as the uh, maritime version. Mate, it, I've got to say about the Kiwi A4s, it's a real shame with those. They, uh, I saw one of the last... Uh, <laughs> ANZUS air shows in 1980, I believe it was, in New Zealand. Uh, one of the last times that the uh, Kiwis, the Aussies and the Yanks were an air show together at Ohakia. And the Kiwi uh, aerobatics team, absolutely beautiful. They had four A4s in close formation. And in fact, some of their aerobat- formation aerobatics involved a trailing A4 doing a buddy refuel from a leading A4 where they have the probe and drogue unit that comes out and uh, one A4 refuels the other, and they were doing barrel rolls and loops with the uh, trailing guy in the air-to-air refueling position. Very, very cool. Um, Grant, I think those A4s, were they ex-Royal Australian Navy A4s originally? Uh, they did get some from the Royal Australian Navy. They were The Kiwis bought them themselves, then topped up the numbers from the ex-Royal Australian Navy, and then to rub salt into the Aussies' wounds, uh, the Kiwi A4s were based here in Australia from Nowra to do... Uh, like attacks on ships and so on as training after the uh, the Aussies shut down their A4 force. Yes, of course, uh, Australia uh, used to fly the A4s off uh, the aircraft carrier Atrium AS Melbourne, which was long, long ago sold for scrap. Yep, and then they finally wound them down and just went rotary wing. But uh, no, the Kiwi A4s did an incredible job and, and uh, used to hot dog their uh, way around, around the Nowra area. I can tell you one of the most terrifying rides I've ever had in a Cessna 182 with was it was over in the States many, many years ago with an ex-United uh, States Marine Corps pilot who, uh, while he was uh, seemingly standing this thing on its backside and trying to get it vertical, was regaling me with stories about how he'd flown A4s off the deck of the HMAS Melbourne. And uh, I suppose I would have been more impressed if I wasn't uh, busy looking at the ground and thinking, I hope we don't stall this sucker because we weren't that high in the air. (laughs) Yeah, there's nothing like uh, flying with a combat fighter to really give you an indication of what a plane can do. Oh, boy. I guess looking back 20 years, it was impressive, but I was terrified at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes they're the best moments in hindsight. Oh, yeah. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. Well, Steve, we're definitely going to have to be a little bit uh, cautious on what we say between Australia and New Zealand, whether I'm insulting either party it's great i'm a kiwi living in australia so i'm insulting both groups looks like there's going to be some cheap flights coming up according to josh gordon and the age 
flying from Australia to New Zealand will become almost as cheap and easy as domestic travel under a plan to bring the two countries a step closer to a common border. Uh, seems they're going. The uh, Aussies and the Kiwis are looking to announce uh, efforts to streamline trans-Tasman travel, potentially scrapping departure taxes, duplication of quarantine, customs and security checks, and allowing planes to land at domestic terminals. How cool is that? I think it only makes sense. <laughs> I'm just a little bit sceptical. They're potentially scrapping departure taxes, yeah, right, as if they'll just replace it with something else. Oh, yeah, no doubt. There'll be a Tasman tax. A Tasman tax, of course. No, I, I think that makes sense. Uh, I don't think you need a visa now to travel to New Zealand, do you? I mean, you don't even need one to travel to the US from here now as long as you've got a, a you know, machine-readable passport. Oh, mate, the Kiwis were, didn't need a, a visa to get into the US for yonks while the Aussies still did, but uh, I remember that a very long time ago. But, uh, no, it would be great uh, bringing Australia and New Zealand a bit closer together. We're, we're still different countries, but if we can make it easier for the... Uh, there is a large amount of travel between the two, both for pleasure and for business. Yeah, let's face it, most of New Zealand's population lives here in Australia anyway, so it only makes sense when you think about it. Ha, 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 Well, also, let's face it, it's only three hours from uh, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane to uh, from the, basically from the eastern seaboard to New Zealand, whereas from uh, the eastern seaboard to Perth, it's about five hours. Yeah, depending on the winds, um, it's, um, it's often longer and it's often more expensive to fly domestically to Perth from Melbourne than it is to fly internationally from Melbourne across to Auckland. Indeed, indeed. So, yeah, I, I roll on the cheap flights and roll on the tighter links. Uh, we, we will hold off on making jokes about New Zealand becoming yet another state of Australia. I think that's a bit crazy, but uh, who knows? It may be one step closer to even having a uh, combined monetary union between uh, New Zealand and Australia. Yeah, I was just going to bring that point up. I, I, we There was some talk a few years ago about making a, a sort of a Pacific peso, if you like, a... <laughs> Well, if you've got the euro, you've got the US dollar, you've got the pound. Oh, what would they call ours if we combined Australia and New Zealand f- currency? Yeah. <laughs> the what's left, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 it's too late at night. I can't think of something witty to go Yeah, well, I can't either. I uh, Obviously, uh, to anyone listening, I'm not much of a financial commentator. But, yeah, I think um, you know, some people here talk about security issues. I don't think there would be that much in the way of security issues. I'm sure they could keep it a tight arrangement if they had open borders. Indeed, I'm sure they could. And so, uh, yeah, if they, if they say it's going to uh, to drop uh, the cost of travel over, then that's 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 a bonus uh, for both of our countries. Uh, you know, New Zealand are always uh, heavily promoting tourism in the media over here, come and travel to New Zealand. Uh, it says here under the proposal uh, for open borders, people leaving Australia for New Zealand would be exempt from the $47 passenger movement charge which still includes a $3 levy for the 2000 Sydney Olympics. What a surprise, Grant. They haven't taken that tax off. Yeah, once you add a tax, it's real hard to get rid of it. And no surprise also that there's a $3 levy on elder departures from Sydney for the uh, <coughs> ancient Olympics uh, because they're still trying to pay it off. So uh, we'll watch that with interest. Uh, yeah, let's hope that happens. I think it'll be a good thing. And uh, Grant, you know, we're always talking about our friends over at the Airplane Geeks, and we actually haven't had a guest on our podcast yet, so I think it's only fitting that, uh, seeing as he's just popped up online, that we should welcome Max Flight. Max, how are you going? Hi, very well. Things are going nice. Uh, nice to talk to you guys. Nice to awesome. interrupt your holiday just to come and speak to us here on Plane Crazy Down Under. Oh, it's my pleasure. I just just have a few minutes. Don't have too long. We're getting ready to uh, get the car packed up and, and head north for a few days away from home, but uh, it's, it's great to chat with you guys for just a little while anyway. 
Yeah, and, this this is awesome. I mean, not only do we have our first guest, hi Max, we also have our first interview coming up later in the show. Terrific. Who's who's the interview with? Uh, uh, it's 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 not with Rob Mark. That's we can't afford his fees. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, you know those guys. Yeah, no, the interview interview is going to be with Carlos Santoro, the owner of Flight Experience Melbourne. Um, I recorded it with him on on the flight deck of his seven three seven simulator. Oh, outstanding! We'll look forward to that. Hey, Max, we're just in the middle of talking here about some uh, profit dives with our local aviation companies here, and um, the article we were just going to touch on next deals with Macquarie Airports, who own a number of airports here in Australia. Uh, and they've had a, a huge drop in their profit. Uh, in fact, they've recorded a loss of $299.4 million this financial year. Uh, Max, how do they? How are most of the bigger airports over in the US, are they publicly owned or are they privately owned by the government? How do they operate those over there? It, it can really be a combination. Uh, a, a lot of them are, are, are government-owned and some of them are, are sort of commercial enterprises, but you, you, you find kind of all, all combinations, really. Yeah, Sydney Airport and Melbourne Airport... Are, what the government did here, all the airports here basically used to be owned by the federal government and uh, back in the 80s and through the 90s, the uh, federal governments of uh, both political persuasions managed to sell them all off and uh, the one thing you notice at all airports now is that it's, you know, your, your credit card starts shuttering when you come within about 10 kilometres of that place. <laughs> Yeah, well, Macquarie, Macquarie are the owners of Sydney Airport here. Uh, they also have uh, stakes in Brussels Airport and Copenhagen Airports. And uh, this, it's interesting that this loss is even after selling down part of their stakes in those two airports. So they've, they must have had a massive loss to not have been able to balance out against the, the income earned from those. You know, maybe they should just start building some more car parks and charge exorbitant rates for their uh, poor passengers just innocently parking their vehicles. Oh, that, should, that should boost their bottom line a bit. My, uh, my, co-director, my co-director was telling me about uh, what's going on over in South Africa with the preparations for, uh, for the big uh, FIFA World Cup challenge over there. And apparently they've built a new car park and it's between the uh, where you stop your car to get in and out and drop people off and where you actually go into the airport itself so when you come out and you've you've got your bags and everything you walk through the car park to get to the buses when you get dropped off by a taxi you walk through the car park to get to check in <sighs> unbelievable well i noticed that uh, when i was over in the states that um, particularly at lax there seemed to be a, a heap of construction going on there do you know max is that a, is that a publicly owned airport lax so that would certainly be a, a big money maker for a private company if they owned it i'm not positive on on lax um generally the, the there's an airport authority created that's sort of a quasi-government uh, entity that, you know, is sort of charged with, with managing and running the airports. And pr- probably LAX is the same, um, but, I'm, but I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, yeah well, well, I guess you're, you're over on the other side of the country, I think. Is, is that right? Or? That's right, yes. I'm uh, on the other coast. On the other well, that, coast. That's one of the things with the with the U.S. You, you get those quasi-bodies quasi that are running the airport, but they get funds from the uh, FAA to help grow the airports as well as whatever they get in themselves and I, I know that's that's been in the news a lot where you get uh, get areas saying oh we, we want to shut down that airport we want to turn it off we don't need it anymore and the FAA gets to say great pay us back the five million dollars we gave you <laughs> yeah yeah another sort of related issue is is with, with smaller sure. airports they're they're under a lot of pressure these days uh, oftentimes the the land has more value if uh, developed for for housing and and that sort of thing so many airports are sort of struggling with the uh, you know the, the choice do they do they remain a, a, a small general aviation airport uh, or do they do they sell it and uh, sort of grab the money and, and run I know that's been uh, 
an issue just uh, just down the road from me with one of the airports, one of the local airports here, actually, that uh, the the townspeople in in referendum voted to purchase the land to, to retain the airport for for local use, which was uh, almost an unusual outcome these days. Usually, it goes the other way. Usually, they sell the land off for development, but. Uh, the, the, so the town taxpayers will contribute a r- relatively modest amount, and then the state and the FAA will come in and, and fund sort of the bulk of it to uh, to create a you know permanent uh, permanent airport that'll that'll be there for uh, for years to come. But it, it, it's a it's 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 a tough issue with with small airports trying to remain viable uh, yeah. in in this economy. I guess the old saying is true that money talks. Ultimately, everyone has their price. I guess. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, indeed. And the same thing's happening up in the Sydney area. Uh, Sydney's losing the little aircraft uh, airports such as Hoxton Park's already been, excuse me, already been closed and uh, everyone's relocating to Camden. And there's there's potential that Camden's going to have to close. Uh, Bankstown, which is a major GA airport, uh, they've had some runways closed and encroachment of uh, commercial construction in the area for uh, for what we call over here a DFO, direct factory outlets. So yeah. it's sales uh, malls and things like that, and yeah, it's Sydney's actually got the situation where they don't really have uh, any airstrips available if the winds blow. I think it's from the west. If they're an east-west, uh, I can't remember the exact details, but I do know people have been talking about it in Sydney that uh, that they're running out of airstrips, uh, air, air, um, landing fields if if the winds are bad. Well, I've done the same thing down here at, uh, with Morabin Airport. They've in fact, they had to close one of the runways pretty much, the uh, 0422 runway. They, they basically plonked a Coca-Cola factory at the end of that runway when they sold the land off. Very, That's very good. sad. I suppose, Max, uh, over, in the, uh, over in the US, the airlines are a, a pretty strong political lobby group too. I mean, it's, it's probably, you know, they're probably happier with less GA aircraft around. Uh, I know the guys over at um, Uncontrolled Airspace are always talking about that issue. Yeah, sure. They, they have a, prob- a, a fairly strong... Uh, you know, organization the uh, the ATA, the Air Transport Association. They they don't the airlines don't individually come out and speak to political issues uh, very often, but they do it through sort of that that trade organization. And and whenever there's an issue in, in the in the press or in the public's mind, uh, they'll they'll speak through the ATA. Well, I'll tell you what. In my experience, Max, when I was over there uh, just a few weeks ago, I th- I don't think there's any issue being talked about. To do with aviation or anything else, the uh, thing I kept hearing was healthcare, 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 and uh, I kept getting the third degree from some of my friends down there about how we do things here. It's like you know, you need to yeah, take that up. With, you need to take that up with the president. It's got nothing to do with me, you know. <laughs> yeah, that that's that, that issue has kind of consumed the, uh, the 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 public right now, and uh, it, which is which is uh, convenient for anybody who's uh, in trouble or would otherwise be be. Uh, viewed negatively in the press because uh, no one's got time for that other stuff right now it seems it's all about health care wow <laughs> that's that's a constant all around the world that the the politicians love nothing more than uh, some major distraction that can fill the press and uh, take the heat off them for everything they're doing nothing like a good that's diversion right. you remember our one of our infamous prime ministers here grant paul keating who uh, you know anytime he wanted to bring in another tax which was you know basically every other week he'd start talking about the republic let's make a republic oh by the way we're bringing in a new tax <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's anyway funny. well max i'm sure you're uh, keen to get off on your uh, holiday and uh, have your vacation and um, we uh, we're really glad that you could stop in and spend a short amount of time with us and hope that you can join us again at some point sure i'd love to it's been fun anytime really and uh, you can catch Max Flight at the Airplane Geeks. That's www.airplanegeeks.com, the podcast without which this one would not exist. 
You can also oh, catch, you're too modest. <laughs> you can also catch Max at uh, thirty thousand feet, of course. Yes, all right. That's my uh, in, in, insanely out of control aviation directory. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty big. Right. <laughs> we we feel we feel pretty honoured that uh, we made it on there, Max. We're pretty that's pretty cool. <laughs> no problem. Love to have you. All right. Thanks, guys. See you later, Max. Thanks, Max. All right, bye now. Well, Steve, have you ever dreamed of being on a commercial airliner when the flight crew are incapacitated and the call goes out? Are there any pilots on board? Oh, it's my life's dream, mate. It's my life's dream. Well, do you reckon you could convert your GA skills, your elite GA skills, to flying a 737? Oh, yet another dream. Ah. <laughs> have you been trying your hand at the task via X-Plane or Microsoft Flight Simulator? Oh, I've given it a go over the years. Well, what are we getting to here, mate? What are we getting uh, to? Well, you know, do you find that the mouse and keyboard just doesn't translate to the real thing, Yeah. Yeah, that's very true, mate. Very true. Very, very frustrating, well, really. i got to say that these days, post 9-11, unless you've got a friend who works in a sim centre, and I think I've been blogging about that on mine, uh, or you have a stack of cash at hand, you might think your chances of finding out if you can fly a 737 are pretty slim, wouldn't you? Yeah, pretty slim indeed. Yeah, now just where am I leading you? Well, I'll tell you where I'm leading you. Happily Wait. for us at... Oh, sorry, yes? Yeah, where are you leading us here, Grant? <laughs> uh, by the nose, mate. By the nose. <laughs> Happily, as it turns out, there is a way for us to experience flying a 737 without having to fork out the big bucks associated with full motion simulators. A company called Flight Experience based in New Zealand have developed a fixed-base 737-800 simulator that accurately replicates the cockpit of Boeing's most popular airliner. So, big fat deal, we're in Australia, what's that mean to us if they're in New Zealand? Well, guess what, mate? They're over here too. Sensational. Yep, they've been uh, pretty busy setting up franchises in Australia and also Singapore and Hong Kong as well as around New Zealand. Yep, and I can tell you, Grant, I've had the pleasure of flying that one a couple of times and uh, the second time I flew it is the day we went down there and did some interviewing. So uh, let's just uh, play that interview now. Yeah, I think so, because, yeah, I, uh, I got to interview Carlo Santoro, the owner of Flight Experience Melbourne, and uh, we actually did the interview sitting on the cockpit of the simulator and recording it over the crew intercom. We're here in the Flight Experience 737 simulator, and I'm interviewing Carlo Santoro, the owner of Flight Experience Melbourne. How are you doing, Carlo? Yeah, good, thanks, Grant. Great to have you on board, by the way. Thank you very much. It's uh, what, great to be here. I'm uh, really enjoying being in the cockpit once again. Well, you do have the best seat in the house, but sitting there on the left-hand seat of the, of the 737, I must say, as you well know, that that is the captain's seat. Yeah, and the captain's seat is definitely the best. I really enjoy this spot. Now, Carly, what can you tell me about flight experience? Well, look, it's a really cool franchise system. Um, I was very lucky to find it through a friend of mine in uh, Auckland who brought it to my attention. And uh, through that process, ended up bringing it to Victoria. Uh, which my wife and I run the shop here. We're sort of an outdoor shopping centre, which allows us to run, you know, very long hours. Mm -hmm. uh, so we can work quite late into the evening, allows us to do maintenance overnight. Um, and probably more importantly, uh, we need to train our staff. Yep. Um, we find it very difficult during work hours to train our, our instructors. Yep. Um, and so we have to do that after hours quite regularly. Okay. And so that's the type of centre we looked for. And so the shop itself is about 80 square metres. In the back of it, we have the actual simulator. Yep. Um, and we have a lot of merchandise to keep it more enjoyable for our customers who come in to get that feeling of aviation. Tell us about your interest in aviation. My interest in aviation is, is not like it was intentional, i got to say. It sort of came through computers where I got involved in flight simming due to my work uh, type in another world. It got quite stressful, so I found coming home to my computer and doing a flight Melbourne to Sydney 
um, very, very relaxing. You know, it allowed me to take off and cruise and descend and actually do something and think it through. And, you know, I'm not a big TV person, so yep. I found that sort of planning and all those sorts of things and losing myself in that was very, very relaxing for me. So that's really got me into the, the side of simulation, and I guess I just took that knowledge over the last, what, 15 years now yep. to learn everything I could possibly learn. Um, on, an, on a flip side, though, I do travel in the real world quite a lot. Yep. And so for me, being a control freak, it's allowed me to understand uh, airliners, how they operate, how they fly, where they fly. And so I've learned, you know, every type of Boeing backwards. Um, I feel pretty confident in all their systems. Airbus is something I'm still uh, trying to work out. Mm-hmm. I've got a good good handle on some bits of it, but most of it is, is something I still need to learn. Okay. But this, have obviously, being a Boeing 737-800 NG series um, type aircraft, you know, I, I know this system, all the systems yep. pretty well. And, pretty and awesome. this simulator, I don't know if you know, is actually CASA approved. Okay. Yeah, so it's pretty exciting. We went through that last year. Uh, okay. Thanks to the New Zealand officers, they um, helped us uh, make that happen. Excellent. Um, so it allows us to do some quite limited uh, logging time in relation to um, instrument approaches with um, yep. uh, people with commercial uh, mm-hmm. pilot licenses. So, but yeah, it's still very exciting to be actually approved to say that the actual simulator is, you know, at that level. Why did you go with flight experience? To be honest, I mean, I've never heard of anyone else doing anything like this. I mean, mm. flight experience, the guys in, the three guys in Christchurch, New Zealand, have really put together a fantastic package here. You know, over the years, they've gone through lots of different processes to get here. You know, they started off with a 767, went to a shopping center, found an investor, converted it to be a 737, as they knew, you know, nearly 6,000, well, now 6,000 have been made. Yep. Um, it's not like you can go wrong with this type of aircraft. This type of aircraft can fly anywhere in yep. the world pretty much take off and land every 30 seconds you know they're not going anywhere they've got i think they've got another 3,000 orders in real life so in other words it means that the public who are going to be using it are very familiar with the type of plane yep it's not like it's an odd plane it's not like no. a 747 for everyone a lot of people say once you get a 747 well they, they can't do melbourne city very easily no. you know it's a limited type of flight it's not designed for that this plane is designed for a lot of the flights we do the the half hour you know flights the 30 the 45 the 60 and the 90 yep. it's designed for those styles and circuits at airports yep it's a it's a sporty plane i've got to say very sporty when did you start flight experience melbourne uh we started so let me think of february 11th 2008 was the opening date it was a it was a rough ride getting to that day it was pretty hard work i've got to say Um, my wife was having a baby at the same time we moved house um moved the other business and this and all so it was all a pretty crazy time in reality (laughs) um you know with a new business you don't know really what it's going to mean so everything was new everything was fresh so without her support it would have been very difficult um, and still today, she actually runs the day-to-day operations of the business and manages what the 16 uh, instructors that we have flying okay. the, um, from our customers. And so, yeah, so that's sort of the beginning of it. And here we are, what, nearly 18 months into it. What's your typical customer profile? Oh, that's a tough question. I mean, you can have, in one day, you can have a 12-year-old kid to a 90-year-old man who hasn't flown a, pl- a plane or a tiger moth, as they'll say, um, in, you know, in 65 years, and they come in here and fly this. So it's a yeah. dream come true for them. What is a typical customer? A typical customer is a very happy person usually coming into the shop. Yep. They usually don't know what they're in for. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been given it as a gift. And then when they sort of walk into the actual simulator and see all the lights on the scenery, they're just like, wow. And they're actually quite impressed that they're actually getting to fly it. Okay. They think it's a ride. Oh, I sit back here, do I watch? No, no, you actually sit in the left-hand seat and actually fly the plane. And they're like, wow, even a 12-year-old, even a 90-year-old. You get all different types. You get dads, you get uncles, all those sort of things. I mean, obviously, we get a good fair share uh, of female pilots as well. We have, you know, a good percentage who come in um, and want to learn to fly. It's it's not that it's a a man's... um, domain or anything like that um but it has been proven to be a great gift for a husband you know a father yeah. a grandfather a brother an uncle a yeah. son 
you know, also we get a lot of uh, families bringing in their kids to sort of show them the concept of a career of okay. being a pilot, you know, what yep. does it like to fly a plane, what does it mean, what sort of work, and our instructors yep. can help, you know, the public understand that sort of stuff. There is no real sort of perfect type customer. The reality is they seem to all be happy, you know, that, that they all come out hot and sweet. <laughs> um, some have done a good landing and some have done a bad landing, but they've all had a great time. Okay. And I think that's, that's our typical customer. Okay, that's what really counts. Excellent. Do you get many um, general aviation pilots? coming through? Uh, look, you know, it's funny. We get a lot of um, real-world pilots um, from foreign airlines who pop into the shop, but we don't get a lot flying it, no, because the reality is they're in level D simulators in their own airlines, and so yeah. they're very impressed with it. They love it because they, I think the thing that really impress, impresses them about it is it allows the public to see what they do, okay. and they really love that side of it because they miss that now. They can't open their doors yeah. in flight. They can't bring the public in, the kids in, you know, so you could argue it's quite boring up the front. We're here, it's actually really exciting. Yep. So that's their number one comment. But no, we don't, they don't, a lot of them don't fly it, the real world pilots as such, because yeah. they're flying the real thing, yeah. and they're also getting in the real simulators. You know, then again, we do get a lot of um, pilots coming in for airline interview training. Okay. So we get a bit of that as well, okay. who are practicing the maneuvers required for the airline interview, yeah. We get a lot of um, PPLs, um, private licensed people. Definitely. Cessna jockeys and yeah, all that. Yeah, heaps of them coming yeah. in and testing their skills. You know, quite a few simmers coming in. But the real-world pilots, I mean, they definitely have flown it. We have a Virgin uh, Virgin Blue pilot here in Australia who flies uh, 737-800 MGs in real life, literally parks his plane at Tullamarine, jumps in a cab and uh, drives here and actually works for us <laughs> and instructs. Excellent. Like, it sits in the first officer's seat, which I'm in, and and yep. flies, you know, Joe Public and, and yep. absolutely loves it okay. um, from the perspective that he gets to communicate, and he's a great communicator and a great pilot. Now, how accurate is this uh, simulator unit? What's its fidelity and real? Well, excuse me, realism like? I mean, that's a great question. I got to say, Grant. But the reality is, I mean, I can't answer that in a technical way. But I mean, from my understanding, we've had um, quite a few airline check pilots through here um, when I've been in here, and they've all been extremely impressed. So at the level, you can do your train, your airline interview training. So you can come in and practice all your maneuvers correctly, yep. and the performance is correct for all in one settings and okay. climb rates, all those sorts of things. It's all it is, you know, right up there. And and the people that the check captains that are flown have been pretty impressive. We actually had a guy who's been flying um, 747s for Cathay Pacific for 30 years. Yep. Never seen anyone fly it so well, and he was very impressed. And he did some circuits at Kai Tech and perfect landings and he found it you know just like the real thing that those were his words so wow that's great you know the even the feel of it all so you know the feedback's been very positive okay mm. and it's also i note that it's great for doing all your procedures your muscle Absolutely. memory if your switches are here your yes yes yeah. everything you wouldn't know the difference really between this and a real okay. one i mean we don't have the, the heads-up display obviously you know i flew with a friend of mine who's a first officer on a 73 with Qantas. yep um one night we did a flight in melbourne sydney and except for the heart he said there's not a lot of difference okay now we've already touched on the fact that pilot can log their time in the sim so I could bring my logbook down here I'm not yep. an instrument or a yes uh, look as a, as a general aviation no okay no you can't no okay. CASA does has not approved it for that so okay. short mm. so you can't come down and have a bit of fun you can come down and have a lot of fun. Wow. Absolutely. Sorry. Have a bit of fun and log it. But you couldn't log right. it for that. What powers this unit? Um, what computers and software well, are driving like it? like nine servers out the back here. Um, nine servers. Nine servers, that's right. Wow. If you're a bit of a flight simmer, you know, you would know some of the components that we use. And then we've also, the New Zealand business have actually written their own middleware okay. uh, to connect it all up and actually make it, you know, quite as real to the customer through ATC and AI traffic. 
um, and also obviously all the instrumentation. So we're using things like the Visual Zer Flight Sim uh, FS9 okay. uh, for Flight Sim. We've got Project Magenta running. We've got a whole lot of different middleware, but instructor stations that we've had to write so that we can set the areas up very, very easily um, and design weather and design performance and failures. So the nine, the nine service we've got, you know, they're Linux-based, Windows-based. Uh, systems um, that currently have performed extremely well with, you know, touch wood, no failures yet. <laughs> Our projectors have probably worked worked the hardest, and we've yeah. had to replace those in, you know, the first time in 12 months. Yeah. But other than that, you know, you know, the equipment's been fail safe. I got to say. What routes are available to fly on this simulator? Well, another interesting question, I must say, Grant. It, you know, it depends on the customer what they want to do, and it depends on how much of time they've purchased. So in the 30 and the 45, we really suggest circuits because it allows you to really enjoy the performance of the aircraft and hand flying. Yep. And hand flying, you know, it's hard work. Yep. Um, and it really gets you into the whole feeling of flying 737. But when you go to the 16 or 90 minute, it really allows you to explore the exciting side of the automation of the aircraft. Okay. You know, as you can see in front of you, you've got the MCP, yep. um, which is uh, all of the, the, the autopilot, really the center of the aircraft, um, which connects up with the FMC, the flight management computer systems, which allows you to design or like a set up a GPS, I guess you could argue. Okay. Um, some of you guys out there would already know what that is. Um, on a simple terms, it's like a GPS where you never put all your waypoints in yep. uh, where you want to fly. And uh, basically what we've designed is about 35 different flights based around the FMC and the MCP for our customers to actually fly line flights like real pilots. Okay. You know, the Melbourne, Sydney's, or Los, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, which is very popular, uh, London, Paris, uh, you know, we've got all regions covered, you know, okay. from Cape Town, Johannesburg, which is quite a difficult flight, I've got to say, because Johannesburg's at 5,000 feet. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know, amazing, when Cape Town's at sea level, obviously. Yeah. And so, it's a, you know, it's quite an interesting type of flight to do things like that. So, we have customers that come in and want to do that. But I've got to tell you, there is no doubt about it. Everybody who comes in here wants to fly Kitech. I'll tell you, it is one of the most exciting, you know, landings you'll do. Out, you know, the, the, Hong Kong as a city is a beautiful place to fly around. The weather's always pretty good there, I must admit, when we're flying. But the reality is that that checkerboard and turn right is just an amazing experience to oh, put yeah. it down. Yeah. And surprisingly, a lot of our customers do. You'd be, you know, it's yeah. not a bad landing. I guess between mm. between old Kaitak and Innsbruck, they're two of the more challenging ones. Oh, Innsbruck, yes. Well, that, that's even more difficult, I think, honestly, okay. than, than Kaitak in my experience, because you sort of got to come down and around the valleys. It's sort of quite technical. Bank angle. Well, exactly. <laughs> Bank angle. Pull up, pull up. So, but Innsbruck is, you know, again, another popular one. Queenstown, Queenstown. in New, New Zealand, yep. which is another exciting one. Very difficult again, too. St. Martin mm-hmm. as well, coming in low over the beach there is a lot of fun. Okay. And take off, you got to pull up around over the mountain. It's a lot of fun. Okay. So we've got a lot of different experiences to provide our customers from the point of view that you know they can use automation which a lot of our customers are interested in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know it's funny you know a lot of our customers want us they don't believe a plane can land itself okay. and so we do do land three modes so oh. it lets them to see what it's like to see it hands off fully land and flare and break and everything so it's pretty exciting customers get pretty impressed with that yeah the full mm. cat three auto land that's correct yeah yep. your staff are referred to instructors so what, are they real instructors what's their requirements well look they're basically all trained instructors on a 737-800 NG okay. uh, they're fully qualified on this series of aircraft um, and they um, they know all the systems they know everything in, in relation to flying all line flights and, all, and automation yep. um, and they spend you know they've got deep knowledge in all of that they're fully trained by us they're consistent Yep. Um, their experience in, in offering obviously got different personalities, but the reality is, you know, their offering is, is amazing what they give. There is no doubt each in, each one is individual, um, yep. and some of them are flying externally, obviously, to the business from parachutists, planes to, you know, Virgin 737s. We've got a new guy starting who is a second officer on a 777 with Singapore Airlines. Oh, cool. 
So we've got a lot of different mixed people. We've got a guy who's an accountant who does PPL on the weekends and flies here every other day. A guy who's an amazing simmer and hundreds of hours a month on simming and knows everything about this type of aircraft, but has never flown in a real world as such. So we have a good <laughs> mix of people, but at the end of the day, they're all fully trained by us. They give a consistent experience and they know this aircraft truck. Type very very well. So we call them, you know, flight experience instructors who are fully trained in 737-800 NG series and um, okay. all the systems. So they're all equals. Now I know you've got some seats from an airliner in the lounge. Yes, that's right. That's a funny story. Actually, it was a gift from Deborah, my wife, many years ago uh, for Christmas. Yeah. I came home and there's these wrapped up big seats. And I <laughs> them and it, was, it was like heaven. <laughs> I had these uh, seats in my living room for a couple of good couple of years actually, and having a lot of fun with them through parties and whatnot and enjoying sitting on them. And then uh, this business came around and I thought, what you know, what a better place to put them in the, in the reception area. When you come to fly here, you get the biggest upgrade of all from economy class all the way to the captain's <laughs> seat. So that's what I love about it the best. It's the fastest upgrade anyone's ever got. Well, it's obviously the flight crew ate the fish. That's it. Yeah. So uh, what kind of seats are they though? What can you? Well, my understanding based on the registration and serial numbers, it's from the lovely airline ANSET, a 737-300 uh, oh, okay. is my understanding. But um, we actually recover them, so you wouldn't recognize them. Yeah. Um, unless you uh, really know your stuff, you'd know the ashtrays ash have been taken out. Um, so you might work out the era based yeah. on that. Um, but the reality is, yeah, they're, they're, they're a great seat. They're comfortable. They're sturdy. Uh, they've been recovered in red, actually. Oh, cool. Some quality leather uh, yep. from Moran Furniture. So they're fantastic. Um, really gr great job, I've got to say. And they've really okay. withstand um, all of our passengers who have been flying here for the last, what, 18 months. Well, that's pretty much it from me. Is great. there anything that you think I should have asked you that I haven't already asked? Anything else um, you'd like to say? Look, I think um, Flight Experience Victoria, we're, we're quite unique from the point of view that we like to ensure that our customers get the full and real experience of a commercial airliner pilot. And that's something we, we do very well here. We're quite strict. We have good, you know, strong SOPs. And we believe in uh, helping the customer understand as much as possible. This is not a toy. It's not a game. Uh, we try and take it as seriously as possible. Um, you know, we always wear our seatbelts. You know, we're, <laughs> we're very, very serious about the whole process of what we do. With all that seriousness, obviously, um, you know, we, ensuring there's always fun. Yep. You know, when you're doing circuits of Melbourne, you know, when you're rolling down the runway and you're, you know, hit your rotate speed and you take off and you pull left and, okay, we're pretty serious maybe during that phase. But once you sort of get airborne, you know, we like to show you the scenery, let yep. you let you enjoy your flight because there's fixation problems with customers. So we, we really make that effort to make sure our customers are having fun. I think the other thing is that we, you know, we, we don't try and tell the customer too much too quickly. Yep. Um, so it gives them opportunity to always come back okay. and learn more. Um, and we have a lot of customers who do that, and they'll come in, they'll do a quick circus, and they want to learn how to do line flights, and they want to see what it's really like. And so we've been really good at helping customers come back. We've got a flying club people can join now, and that allows them to, you know, get discounted rates to do oh, cool. to come and actually do those sort of experiences. So they're not stressed about 30 minutes or 60 minutes, because I'll tell you, those 30, 60, 90 minutes, they go so quick. Oh, yeah. You click of a finger before you've thought about something, it, it's gone, you're out. And so the reality is that the flying club that we're launching um, is quite exciting from that perspective, giving that discount to the, you know, dedicated, unloyal um, member of our club. Okay. But I mean, look, there's a lot about the, the, you know, the business. You know, you just need to come and see. Okay. Yeah. And, Excellent. Uh, and and we can help anyone sort of with any experience they're looking for. And we have people asking, can I learn the FMC? That's it. Yep. No worries. Come in for an hour. We'll teach you everything. Excellent. So we do things like that to, you know, so if you're a full-on simmer. And you just don't know something. We'll we'll do our best shot to help you go to that next stage in your experience. Okay. And I think that's what we do really well. 
thanks for your time, Carla. I really appreciate that. And uh, it's been great sitting in here. Um, I think what we're going to do is uh, call for an attendant to come up here with our coffee, and then we're going to push sure, back and take off. Me. Sounds good to me. Let's go flying after our coffee. Well, sounds good to me. Well, that's uh, very, very cool, mate. Very cool indeed. And uh, the sooner I can get back into that simulator, the happier I'll be. Well, I've got to say, mate, when I had my flight, my approach into Kaitak was pretty abysmal. Uh, I don't think I flew quite as well as you did on yours. Yeah, well, uh, I did Kaitak actually the second time that, uh, or the second flight that I did the first time I went there, I did Kaitak. But uh, the main flight that I did was just Melbourne, Sydney. And uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, very, very cool, mate. The, the, the realism is something that, um, that I didn't expect. Uh, even though it's not perhaps a, it's not a full motion sim, uh, it, you almost wouldn't know it. You, you do tend to forget that once you get right into the uh, nuts and bolts of flying the thing. It's great. Oh. Heck yeah, I mean, I've, I've got a bit of time in uh, full motion sims, 737s, A330s, that kind of thing, and uh, comparing that to this fixed base, it's not bad, it, it's pretty impressive. Yep, so I was given that uh, a couple of years back, or about 12 months ago, I was given that a pass to the simulator as a birthday present, and um, anyone who knows me, 13th of April, <laughs> I'll take another one as a birthday present, thank you very much. You're so subtle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so, subtle as a brick. <laughs> brick wall across the freeway yeah <laughs> so here so there you go if you're in australia new zealand singapore or hong kong why not try your hand at flying a 737 uh, but apparently according to an interview i did with the uh, ceo from new zealand they're actually going to be look they're looking to expand into the u.s but you can find out more about uh, this by going to www.flightexperience.com.au and next time your loved ones ask you what you want for your birthday which sounds very familiar doesn't it you can <laughs> you can tell them to buy you some time in one of these 737 sims. Then you can find out if you can help save the day if your flight crew ever eat the fish, to quote a very famous person we all know. And a big thanks to Carlos Santoro from Flight Experience in Melbourne for putting up with us and uh, doing the interview. That was great stuff. Yeah, it was pretty awesome of them. We really appreciate that, mate. Now, our next article here, Grant, deals with a bit of uh, regional aviation for a change uh, an article in the australian this week i wonder who wrote that article grant who would you reckon oh mate if it's in the australian and it's about aviation i think it's going to be by mr steve creedy i tell you what we're going to have to get that bloke on the podcast one day uh, we almost wouldn't exist without him anyway talking about regional express or rex as it's better known uh, rex's second tilt at queensland it says here regional express is launching a new assault on the queensland market with its first new route for almost two years as it, as it takes on Qantas Link and adds 60,000 seats between Townsville and Mackay. Uh, the new service is going to be launching on October the 1st with three return services a day and it's the airline's second bid to break into the Queensland market. Its managing director Jim Davis uh, doesn't believe the new service will follow the path of the airline's first attempt, a 2007 service between Brisbane and Maryborough. Uh, that one only lasted six weeks, Grant. He said the northern <laughs> Queensland he said that northern Queensland was a totally different market and had greater potential that's good it's going to give them uh, more uses for their Saab 340s that basically they have a couple of aircraft in their Townsville base so they're going to that are serving their contract with Barracks Gold's Osborne mine near Cloncurry so uh, they just need to station one more additional aircraft in the North Queensland Centre rather than the two that would normally be required because they can bounce off that fly-in fly-out mining operation I guess flying up to Townsville too that's probably much more a tourist based market that they'd be trying to service uh, heading up 
that far north. Uh, yeah. Certainly, uh, uh, you know, I guess for our American friends, uh, Australia's climate is, uh, if you like, uh, geography-wise, is the complete reverse. The further north you go in this country, the warmer it gets. But by the same token, the bit, the more empty it gets too. Well, that's very true. Well, Townsville, I guess, is uh, largely, it's a very large military town too, isn't it? I mean, it's a, a, a huge yeah. big army base up there, so... Yep. Um, yeah, maybe they'd be able to, to, to fill seats that way even. That could even uh, hold some potential for them. I, I suppose uh, the government would uh, be able to make some use of uh, that capacity from time to time if it saw fit. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, look, anything that uh, anything that helps keep Rex going, uh, it's got to be good for Rex, of course. And, of course, Rex picked up uh, its award recently for being, uh, what was it, the, uh, the Australia Pacific region's best regional airline or something similar like that? Yeah, that was we reported on that one a couple of episodes ago. I could flick back through our show notes and tell you exactly what it was. But yes, Rex did pick up an award for being best regional. Yeah, so good luck to Rex Airlines with that. And we'll see how that goes. And hopefully in six weeks' time, we won't be reporting the demise of that service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one can only hope. Keeping us Australian but going into space now, uh, according to Spaceflight Now, an Ariane 5 rocket launched a satellite for Australia the other day, uh, blasting out of its jungle launch base in South America, uh, the rocket took a uh, American-made comsat for the Optus carrier here in Australia, and lobbed it into geosynchronous orbit above Australia. Yay! We have another satellite. Well, yeah, and uh, Optus is a, a big communications company here, Grant. I think that's actually Singtel Optus these days, isn't it? So it's part owned by the Singapore government. Yep. Uh, yeah. Let's hope that that uh, helps to make our mobile phone service work a little bit better, if nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's, I don't don't think this one's going to work directly with mobiles unless they route some some land trunks through it. But uh, yeah, typically these these provide uh, comms relays and uh, television access. Uh, but this is great. Uh, yet another first for this episode. It's the first time we've mentioned anything to do with aerospace uh, actually getting up beyond the atmosphere. I'll tell you, actually, a, a really good podcast that I listen to often. Uh, I don't know whether you do, Grant, that deals with all these sorts of issues, and that's Star Stuff, which is on the ABC website. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that uh, Stuart Gary, who does that podcast, was, will probably cover this uh, launch in great detail. He always does a fantastic job at that. So as this is obviously a plugcast, uh, let me just offer a plug for Star Stuff. <laughs> I think we have a title for this episode, The Plugcast. <laughs> the Plugcast. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. But I'll have to look into star stuff because being the um, space head that I am, I'd love to follow that one. Yeah, well, it's really good, that podcast, because um, it used to be on the ABC radio network and they, they canned it towards the end of last year and a lot of us were quite unhappy about that. But now, it, uh, although it doesn't air on the radio, I don't think anymore, he still does the podcast and puts it up on the ABC Science section on their website. So, uh, yeah, it's excellent. Really, really, really good. That's cool. Maybe we can get him as an interviewer at some point. Interviewee. Yeah. And speaking of space cadets, Grant. <laughs> Most excellent. That works so many ways. Mate, uh, definitely a space cadet on a Qantas flight recently coming in from uh, London via Bangkok. Uh, the Airplane Geeks historian David Vanderhoof pointed me at this one and uh, I must say his, his message about it arrived just after I'd read it on the ABC uh, about a, a Qantas staff having to restrain a disruptive passenger shortly before landing in Sydney. Uh, the man got out of his seat, was disrupting passengers, and uh, the rumour is he tried to get to the exit door. According to Qantas, they say, no, no, they didn't get to any door, but a few passengers who were on the flight have reported that, yeah, the guy did get to the handle before he was grabbed by uh, staff and taken away from the door. So, 
not sure what went on there. According to some reports I've seen, uh, the man was taken away by the cops, but then was released without being charged. So I'm not sure what wound up happening there. Yeah, uh, it, it, yeah, it kind of uh, defies imagine, the imagination when uh, the guy seems to have been released so early. I mean, uh, with all this talk of terrorism and everything going on these days, I mean, you can't even make a joke. You know, you wouldn't want to make any sort of offhanded remark. Uh, that would, would in, in some way uh, upset security people without the threat of being arrested. But this guy's, uh, you know, tried to make a, a bolt for the door while the thing's still flying and uh, just, a, you know, a short stop with the police and he's uh, released. That's uh, very, very strange. Well, maybe it's a breath of fresh air coming in a bit of reality. Yeah, that's okay, mate. We've all had those major panic moments on Qantas. Uh, but may, maybe it's a sign that uh, people are stepping back a little bit from the paranoia associated with anything to do with uh, security and so-called terrorism that's uh, happening at the moment. Yeah, that might be a, That's probably a good point to make too. Yeah, well, of course, there's also the uh, other side of terrorism, which is where people call up and make bomb scares about aircraft, as uh, Singapore Airlines discovered a uh, recently an aircraft coming back into Sydney uh, with 197 passengers on it, uh, received notification of a bomb scare, uh, of a bomb on board, and... Uh, the crew got all the passengers to the back of the plane while uh, hand luggage was inspected at the front. Uh, according, according to the ABC News, uh, passengers reported saying they were surprised when the captain made the announcement asking them to move. And apparently he said, we regret to do this to you, but we need to tell you there might be a trap on this plane. We're thinking, and the passengers saying, we were thinking trap. What's this trap? <laughs> Yeah, a hell of a trap. I wonder if that was just uh, got lost in the translation. Uh, yeah, well, hey, you're being uh, asked to move to the back of the plane and uh, bad luck if the bomb goes off up the front and causes something to go wrong up there. <laughs> yeah, I guess once you're up there, I mean, uh, <laughs> crocky, if there was a bomb on there was a bomb on board and it, it was to have detonated, well, really, it's not really going to matter whereabouts on the aircraft you are, I guess. So, uh, uh, exactly. Uh, fortunately, that wasn't the case. It says here the plane was met by six federal agents from the Australian Federal Police who are investigating the incident. Uh, no more news, but uh, we'll certainly keep an eye on that one and see what transpires. Indeed. Well, um, I think the last thing I want to mention here is a comment we got from one of our listeners. Yes, we do actually have a few people listening. This is great. <laughs> Uh, this is a person we know who uh, has uh, listened to all the episodes and uh, he's actually working as an air traffic controller and way back we mentioned about the first flight of the uh, Tomorrow Aviation Sabre jet and uh, he said he was actually working as the air traffic controller talking to the Sabre and its accompanying Dragonfly uh, on the day of the first flight. So it was the first Sabre flight in a long time and his first day on the job training as a controller. So uh, yeah, well done Veggie. Oh, how cool is that? But uh, he sent us a great email with a whole lot of comments. And unfortunately, because of my day job, I haven't really had a chance to read these pro uh, properly. So uh, we might work that into the next episode, which will probably be closer than this episode was from the previous one. Yeah, we certainly hope so. Com uh, computer hardware notwithstanding. Cool. Well, I think that's probably going to wrap it up. We've had a pretty big uh, major episode here. We've had a lot of plug casting. We've had our first guest. We've had our first interview. We've had quite a few firsts on this one and it's probably going to be the longest one we've ever released yes well of course that'll all depend on my uh rather struggling fledgling editing skills grant but uh we'll we'll certainly do our best to get it out and uh we would uh, encourage uh, people to make comments on our website. That's at uh, plainecrazydownunder.com. 
Uh, you can uh, check out show notes there as well with uh, links to all the stories that we talk about on the podcast. And uh, there is a section there where you can leave comments. Uh, you can send us an email. It's uh, playingcrazydownunder at gmail.com. Certainly, if you come across stories that you think you'd like us to cover, we'd be interested in receiving those. We don't always catch up on uh, all the stories we'd like to during the week. So if uh, you come across something that's in the Australia, New Zealand, Pacific sort of region uh, to do with aviation and you'd like us to cover it on the podcast, please send that through to us at that email address. Yeah, that'd be great. We can all, You can also reach us on twitter as pcdu so you can just send messages with at pcdu and we'll pick them up yeah so that's about all we have here for you on playing crazy down under this week grant i hope the weather calms down a little bit and uh, actually i don't wake up in the morning in a different postcode <laughs> yeah there has been a lot of uh, things flying in the air not all birds and aircraft uh, trees twigs power lines the works have been going by but uh, yeah definitely it looks like the winds are dro- dropping off which is going to cause a lot of uh, happiness for the airlines uh, the last couple of weeks of very high winds that we've had here have been causing a lot of flight delays yeah the odd thing weather wise is while down here in in uh, the south of the of the country we're experiencing uh, typical winter weather and of course it is winter down here at the moment uh, up there in the north up in queensland they're having record high temperatures uh, you know up in the mid 30s celsius yeah we, we just had a, a very late dump of snow on some of the snow fields down around here and uh, they're talking in the papers about it being a long, dry spring. So there you have it, folks. Assuming that the rather inclement weather down here in the south of the country doesn't manage to wipe us both off the map, we'll be back with you next week. And until then, I'm Steve Fisher. And I'm Grant McCarran. And remember, folks, it's what's down under that counts. folks at the Department of the Bleeding Obvious have asked us to make this statement. The views and opinions we present in this podcast are ours and do not necessarily represent those of groups we work with or are associated with, although we think they probably should. We certainly don't claim to be experts, we're just opinionated enthusiasts who are willing to comment publicly on the world around us. This show is intended as entertainment and any education that may occur is purely coincidental. As with anything in life, it is your responsibility to determine what does or does not work in your situation and to seek out suitable guidance and or instruction. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons non-commercial by attribution license. For more details on this license and our contact details, please visit our website at www.playingcrazydownunder.com. Thanks, folks. Yeah, well... Uh... Yeah, I think the guy... Uh, am I going to go with that? I've just lost my train of thought. Okay, that's cool. Where did I bloody find that? Oh, here it is. Okay, got it. Bear with me. Bear with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Growl. Oh, wrong bear. No, no, not that one, mate. <laughs> oh, look, and as a matter of fact, I just recorded that. Okay. Ah, <laughs> bastard. Three, two, one. Hey, Steve. Uh, yeah, that's so corny. <laughs> hey, Grant. What? Yes, hey. Brad. <laughs> oh, and here. Look, yes. it's whiter than white. <laughs> I say, old chap. Oh, bravo. <laughs> what, what? What, what, hey. Gin and tonics all round then, what, what? <laughs> and I'm Grant Remicket. <laughs> I can't even say my name. Yes, but I know you'll cut that bit out, just to be nice. Yes, yeah, so I, I know you believe that, Grant. Now, yeah. Yeah, let me just find... <laughs> Am I as gullible as Dan Webb? Yes. <laughs> Oh my God. To believe, no, to I'm not believe. even touching that one now. I, I, I tell you what, you want to be nice to Dan Webb, he's going to end up running the entire airline business. He's only 19 years old. 
Oh, yeah. I really wish I wasn't recording this. We'll have to delete all that, mate.